Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. The school year may be nearing an end, but education policymaking is heating up in Raleigh. For the second year in a row, thousands of teachers marched and rallied outside the General Assembly. At the very same time, House lawmakers were passing their proposed state budget for the next two years that includes many key education provisions. This week, we're going to recap that teacher rally with interviews from the march, and then we discuss the House budget with two leading education policy experts on what's in, what's out, and what's next. Before we tackle our main topics, we open with our headlines, our quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. Virtual pre-K could be coming to North Carolina. The House budget would create a virtual or early learning pilot program using a platform known as Upstart. Bill backers led by Republican Representative Craig Horn want to focus the new online pre-K on at-risk preschool age children to develop school readiness skills. Now, the concept has been widely panned by early childhood advocates, and the World Health Organization just released guidance advising against screen time for children below the age of five. The budget includes $1 million in non-recurring funds for the pilot. An amendment that stripped funding passed the House last week before it was reversed the following day. A provision in the House budget could make teacher marches like last week's rally nearly impossible by preventing school districts from canceling classes. Language in the budget would change state law to say that schools cannot give permission for teachers to use personal leave on a school day unless they have a confirmed substitute in place at least five days in advance. School districts have cited the lack of substitutes for their decision to cancel classes last year and again this year for the teacher marches. Finally, some low-performing, high-poverty North Carolina public schools could be required to be taken over by the state and turned over to a third party to run, including for-profit charter operators. The House passed a bill changing how schools are selected for the Innovative School District, a controversial program allowing the takeover of low-performing schools. The bill would require the lowest-performing school in the state to be added to the program annually. Remember, you can always go to our website at ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and you can read more about each of these headlines as well as other topics we cover each week. Last week, thousands of North Carolina public school teachers and school support staff came to Raleigh to let lawmakers know they do not have adequate resources they need to support their students. Some teachers focused on textbooks and school supplies, others focused on the lack of school support like nurses, school counselors, and school psychologists. I went down to the march and rally with our camera to talk to participants directly on why they came. Take a look. We, we tell the story. We tell the whole wide world, this is teacher territory. One year ago, we were here in this parking lot uh, before the big teacher rally in May of last year. So here we are again, 
Mark Jewell, president of NCAE. Sure. Welcome to Education Matters. Yeah, it's an honor to be here, and I appreciate you being here and covering this very important day for us. What's it feeling like to you? It was like, well, you know, today does the last night. We have 34 districts that are closed. That the enthusiasm is at fever pitch. It's all over social media. All the media is here today. We can be proud of the fact that the citizens of North Carolina are coming together for the common good, and it's the common good of public schools. What's going to transpire today? What do you hope to accomplish? Well, what I hope to accomplish is that the legislators hear us and understand that we are doing what's best for our children in our classrooms and for our communities and for our schools. It is extreme, extremely important that our communities are strong, that our schools are strong, and that makes stronger students. And so we want to make sure that our legislators back up their words by putting everything in the budget that we need for our children. Why are you here today? I'm here because I know that my students need my support. Um, I'm here because I know that I need to talk to the legislators because they're the ones who can give us that kind of support. Teachers just want to have funds. We just want to have money to supply with our students the things that they need and to make sure their education is relevant and personalized. We're the largest high school in our county and we only have a nurse three days a week. That means that I administer band-aids. That means I'm the one or the secretary's the one that has to handle sick kids. The school that I taught in literally ran out of toilet paper. I have about 2,200 between four different schools and the recommended ratio is one psychologist for every 500 to 700 students. What kinds of issues are our young people dealing with today? Um, we have lots of suicidality, lots of self-harm, um, low self-esteem, lots of testing pressure leading to anxiety. It's a lot because our kids need, a lot of their needs are not being met at home and so they come into school with a lot of baggage per se and it's just us having to support them as best as possible just to focus on getting an education. The stakes are high in education today. It is hard for kids to get into college. The pressure is really mounting on them and I see a lot of anxiety and mental health issues that I don't have time to deal with because of all the pressures that are put on me and there aren't enough other personnel in the school building to do so. We're here with Senator Wiley Nickel representing in Wake County. I, I, you're marching with the teachers today. Why? I support public education. I ran for the state senate because I support investing in public education. That's what we got to do. That's what everybody out here is demanding. And uh, I hope my colleagues will listen to everybody here. In the North Carolina Constitution, the state is obligated to provide a free, good education for the students of North Carolina. For the last eight years, the North Carolina legis legislature has advocated that responsibility and it's pay up time. They've got plenty of money for tax breaks for corporations and, and wealthy individuals. Meanwhile, school buildings are crumbling. Kids are going without. It literally says in the North Carolina professional teaching standards that teachers is under the leadership role we have to advocate for our students, for the policies that will positively affect their learning. We have to be their voice. We're here to make sure that our students are supported in every way possible, um, whether it's um, more nurses and social workers and counselors to um, teachers that are supported enough to be the best teachers that they can be for them. I think that we need to have education available to everyone as opposed to just those that can afford it. Here with, uh, with the Teacher of the Year from Brunswick County. What's your name? Claire Harrington. All right. So tell me why you're here today. We need teacher retention. We need a reason for people to come to Brunswick 
Cook County other than just the beach. We need advancement for our teachers because there's a glass ceiling that we can't break through. We need respect from all, all our legislators. We obviously have people that support teachers constantly, but we need people, the legislator to, to start respecting education as well. Um, I think it's important for the teacher, the, the force of teaching to represent the students that we teach. Um, and you'll find that a lot of our te teachers are white females, but that's not the population of students we teach. So I think it's very important that the population of the teachers represents the population of the students. Even though they have given some small raises in the past, um, what we do uh, is not nearly, nearly compensated enough. A lot of the uh, newer teachers coming in, they learn from the veteran teachers and the veteran teachers are actually leaving in droves. So there won't be anybody here to bring up those new teachers. I'm here because of my students. I'm here because we're in the 21st century and we need 21st century devices and materials to teach the children so they will be prepared for what's coming in the future. We have to prepare children for jobs that are not even created yet. And we can't do it from the things that we had 30, 40, 50 years ago. We've got to bring these kids up to the 21st century. Right now, it looks really bad to be a teacher. It looks hard. And if people don't want to come to, and because it's so hard, then they're not going to want to be a teacher. You look how many people are here. Look how many teachers, educators are here. It's not a small problem. This is a big problem. And we're going to keep fighting until we get what we need. Students do come first. But if you want them to be able to compete against the world, then make sure that they have the quality staff and teachers that they need to do that with. We're rallying for more funding for our schools, more funding for our teachers, the master's advanced degree program brought back in, and for our retired people. Well, I'm here with former Congressman Bob Etheridge. Uh, you're all decked out in red. You're here surrounded by teachers. Uh, why are you here today? Well, I believe deeply in public education, and as you well know, having served as state superintendent but an advocate of education, I said I would come for those teachers who couldn't come and those because they wouldn't turn schools out. Now, as a former state superintendent, you've, you've obviously seen sort of what how things have changed in North Carolina. Do you think that North Carolina is, still places the same value on public schools and public education as it did when you were state superintendent? I'm not sure that they do. I think the average person does. Unfortunately, they aren't in the General Assembly. Uh, legislators ought not to be forced into doing what's right. They ought to be the advocates for it. That ought to be the first thing you fund, and you ought to figure out that that is important. That's an investment in the long term. Uh, far more than giving a few people a tax break, you ought to be investing in the future. We know teachers care more about outcomes than incomes. As educators, you do so much more than just teach math and reading and science. You boost your students' self-esteem. You comfort them in time of trouble. You instill in them a sense of purpose and direction. The founding father, John Adams, said that laws for liberal education of youth especially of the lower class people, are so extremely wise and useful that to a humane and generous mind, no expense for this purpose would be thought too extravagant. Article 1, Section 15 says the people have a right, not just children, but the people have a right to the privilege of education. And it is the duty of the state to guard and maintain that right. 
In other words, the legislature under the current majority is not guarding and not maintaining the right. So we are constitutionally right for protesting here. It was quite a day. Um, very inspiring to talk to so many of those teachers and leaders. After a brief commercial break, we're going to be back to talk with two education policy experts who are going to discuss the House budget that passed last week in the midst of this teacher rally and see how some of the teachers' top demands fared so far. But before we go to break, see if you can answer this question. True or false, last year North Carolina became the first state in the country to pay most of its state employees a $15 minimum wage, about $30,000 a year. Public school employees, though, were excluded from that raise. Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Paragon Bank, serving others, enriching lives. Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly answer true? Public school employees were excluded from last year's $15 minimum wage law, which is why the teachers marching last week included that in their list of policy demands. We're going to continue our discussion by turning our attention to the actual state budget that was passed last week by the North Carolina House, and we have two great guests who are going to help us make sense of it. We have Dr. Lauren Fox. Um, Lauren is the Senior Policy Director at the Public School Forum of North Carolina. And Matt Ellenwood, he is the Director of the Education and Law Project at the North Carolina Justice Center. Both have been with us before, so welcome back to Education Matters. Let's talk about the big ticket item first, uh, the one that everyone always seems to focus in on, teacher pay. The House passed their first, you know, sort of their first crack at the budget. We'll get into that in a little bit about sort of what the process is going to be. What was in their two-year budget for teachers? Right. So the first information that we had was announced the day before the teacher march. Um, and the House announced that they would have a 4.6% uh, average raise for teachers. We found out the following day after the march um, that that raise actually is going into effect rather than in September, in, um, in January. So it's not for the full year. And also that it's only going to be applied for teachers uh, who have been teaching 16 years or more. Well, that's something, Matt, you know, the, the, the idea that of, of, of uh, picking certain groups of teachers, that's kind of been a theme, right? I mean, you've seen a focus on, on beginning teachers early. Um, I mean, again, and all these groups make sense, but um, that was a little interesting that the, the announcement uh, sort of left out the fact that, oh, but if you've been teaching more than less than 16 years, you're not getting a raise. Yeah, that's a big deal. And so is the, the raise kicking in in January. So functionally, it's about half of what it normally would have been. So when you look at these over the years, over the two years, they really amount to more like a cost of living adjustment for teachers. And when you look, I think it's also important to keep the raises that have happened recently in a historical context where between 2000 and 2013, um, teacher wages dropped, or they were frozen essentially for many of those years. And in terms of, you know, when you adjust for inflation, they drop by about 13.7%. So when we make these adjustments, <clears throat> we're really pouring them into a really large hole. So they might look good year to year, but they're not enough to make up for what has happened historically. Yeah, you know, Lauren, one of the things that bothers me is that it's, I do feel like we end up kind of trying to sort of dancing on the head of a pin, splitting hairs over average. And, and then there was some, there's been some um, uh, controversy this week about median versus average. But then um, you both know this. We talked to teachers and they're like, this doesn't seem to jive with the reality on the ground. Is um, 
how does that sort of, how would you explain that? Is it, is it about the differences in the local uh, investments? Is that part of it? There's definitely a large difference in the local supplements that are provided to educators across districts based on local property taxes. So if you don't include the local supplements, the average teacher pay is actually closer to about $48,000 rather than what's been reported as 53000 Right, and so when, and the fact that we've got, like we're, we tape the show in Wake County, has the highest teacher supplement in the state, then you've got Charlotte-Mecklenburg, mm -hmm. Chapel Hill. Those teachers are, you know, they have higher raises and they make up a large percentage, but uh, you have a lot of teachers that are in, uh, let's say, Eastern North Carolina that are getting nothing or very little. Right. One, one other thing on teacher pay I want to ask you about, Matt. Were you surprised to see um, the reinstatement of master's pay, um, at least in the House budget? I think I was surprised to see it <clears throat> done broadly, going back to exactly the way things were before. That there had been a lot of talk about targeting the, you know, just towards people who are teaching subjects that are, that are related to their master's degree. Um, it is important to remember this is really early in this process this right. year. That you know we still have the Senate budget to come, and then there will be whatever negotiations happen between both houses and then with the governor. So it's pretty unclear what any of this will look like in the end. And certainly that's true of master's pay. But I thought that was a really good starting point of starting from the place of going back. I mean, it's hard to get too excited about going back to where we were. Right. But it's better than what we have right now. Fair point. The um, all right. Let's let's just talk about something that, um, in some ways, I w really wasn't in the budget. Um, school infrastructure. Um, it's early on, um, early days uh, before the session started. I mean, Speaker Moore, Superintendent Johnson were together doing press conferences about a big school bond. There was going to be a statewide campaign for it. Then the Senate came in with their plan. It's kind of silent now. I mean, Lauren, are we, um, I mean, has the momentum died? I mean, certainly the need is still there, but right. what, what, are you, what are we hearing? I've heard very little about infrastructure needs being addressed. There is some word that it could be addressed in a separate bill, but we don't have any concrete um, information. What about, about you, Matt? That. You're down there some, and you're, you're I mean, if, I guess it just felt like there was a, certainly there was going to be something. I was surprised that you wouldn't want to just put yourself out there that I think everybody's agreed that we have, you know, we have this $8 billion shortfall in infrastructure needs. It's probably understating it by quite a bit. It's probably closer to something like $10 billion. So we have to do something about it. And the Senate and the House both agreed on that. So just to see it, you know, in the big document, the budget that it seemed to include so much of what's been considered already in this session, it's surprising not to see it in there. I'm hopeful that what that means is that they're just not clear on how do you find a compromise between the Senate's pay-as-you-go model versus the House's bond, and they're still working on that. Um, but you'd think that you, the House would want to stake themselves out right now on the bond. Right. Let me ask you uh, another uh, piece, something that was in the, that was passed last week as part of the budget, I believe is in the budget. Um, a shift of moving the selection of instructional materials, uh, you know, curricular materials from the State Board of Education mm -hmm. to local boards. Um, you know, I guess advocates for local control and getting it as close to, with, with, but there's, I've heard also some concerns that this could turn into some, some pretty, you know, big fights over what's considered appropriate. Right. Right. So one of the, the other provisions in this part of the budget is that um, any individual, including citizens, parents, would be able to challenge the materials that were selected. So we could see a lot of issues over, um, you know, sex ed and other, other things that are considered to be controversial by some. Um, that are being challenged and that would go to the local boards. So it would be a lot of work um, and a lot of time spent by the local boards to go through all of this. All right, well. I want to hit a couple, I want to make sure we hit a few mm -hmm. other things here. A to F school grades, we've been talking about that on the, on the show. Public School Forum has been talking about it. It's in the House budget to change that, that formula from 80 20 uh, you know, to 51 49. Mm -hmm. It kind of got moved around. Um, any chance that's going to happen in the Senate? 
I'm not sure, because there's a bill in the Senate that seems to kind of want to slow this process down. I think there might be some legitimate concerns about what does the distribution of A through F grades look like under this new formula, where we may, might need to adjust uh, the rubric that we use to assign those grades so that there isn't like a regression to the mean where everybody's getting something close to a C on the grades. But valuing growth, I think, is certainly a, a step forward. and. Um, I think everybody's kind of getting why growth is more important at this point than just measuring raw test scores, which are uh, almost everyone over there is now even admitting that are too correlated with poverty to really be useful. All right now, there's a lot. I'm gonna, I'm going to keep moving. There's a lot of other new, some new money, uh, a fair amount actually, under under the sort of the big umbrella of school right. safety. Lauren, is that sort of talk to me a little bit about what kinds of things that the uh, the legislature is investing in? Right. So there's new money allocated for school mental health support personnel, for school resources, for equipment and training grants. So you know, spending more on mental health support in particular is a positive thing. There could be a lot, there's a lot more of a need than what we're seeing allocated, but it's definitely a step in the right direction. Yeah, and I was encouraged when I read it, because we've talked about, we just did our show on, um, on suicide mm -hmm. and school mental health. Not only is there significant dollars toward um, students in crisis, and the, within, by the second year it becomes recurring. Right, that's important, and it's, it's important that we're recognizing the, the important role these, these folks play in school. Um, the problem is we just have such a big hole here again, where these new, this new funding would only pay for about 5% of what's needed to get us to the nationally wow. recommended ratios. So even though it's a significant amount of money, it's not even close to what we need. We've had um, instructional support personnel has gone down by almost 10% since 2008. So this doesn't even fill that back up, and we weren't at good ratios before. So that's why we see these monster ratios of counselors and psychologists and nurses to students where you know, we don't even have nurses in schools. And as some of the folks mentioned in the earlier segment of you know, nurses going from school to school, emergencies happening while nurses aren't on site. Um, so if we're going to get a handle on that, we're going to need to do a much bigger investment than what's happened here. Uh, we've talked about student uh, school finance a lot on the show. Um, there is a provision in the House budget to put out a, a, an RFP, a request for proposal, right. and I think about a million dollars to hire a consultant mm -hmm. to redo North Carolina's school funding form, which, mm -hmm. I, which I, we, we had a... A legislative task force. I don't know if we still have one, but is, what is that? What uh, is that? The gist of it, basically, to try to hire someone to write something for us? Yes, that they would hire someone, and I, they're particularly interested in looking at weighted student funding formulas, which we're seeing more um, of those pop up across the country. Um, but you know, this is interesting given that this year we're going to see a report by Wested um, and the Governor's Leandro Commission that are that are addressing our school finance issues, and we haven't even seen the results of that yet, but we're already talking about hiring someone new. All right, last question for you, Matt. What's next? I mean, sort of like you mentioned this is this early. What, what's the process? What, real quickly, what are we going to see next? Yeah, next we'll see the Senate budget, and that could be interesting just because we've had the new revenue projections, so they may have more options to do a little bit more on education. Um, and then we have a new dynamic where in previous years, um, the Republicans have had super majorities in both houses and haven't necessarily had to negotiate with Governor Cooper on the budget. That's not the case this year. So like I said earlier, it's, it's early in the process and we could see something very different by the end uh, when it's all said and done. All right, so we could be in a situation in a couple of weeks, we'll have a Senate budget, a conference in the House and Senate, but then it still has to, the governor has a little bit more you know, power with that veto this right. time. So. And, there, and there is always the prospect of no budget um, and that, that's out there too. And that's, that would be problematic for everyone probably. Matt Ellenwood, Dr. Lauren Fox, thanks for being here. After the break, this week's final word. This week was Teacher Appreciation Week. 
Now, it probably sounds a little cliche to say that every week should be Teacher Appreciation Week, but really it's hard to imagine any other profession that has as much impact. This week I pulled out an article I wrote a few years ago that was naming teachers that had a profound impact on me. Teachers like Ms. Reinhardt, Ms. Riddle, Mr. Burton. Now it's been more than 30 years since I was in school and it's funny how easily those names and faces are recalled. My daughter just finished her freshman year in college and I'm certain there are teachers she had in elementary, middle, and high school she'll be able to recall just as easy in 30 or 40 years. Teachers like Mrs. Barrett, Karen Rectanus, Shannon Hardy, and Mr. Potter. Now, I think all of us want to leave our mark on our little part of the world, but the fact is, outside of family, most of us end up with a handful of people who remember us. Teachers, on the other hand, have thousands of people who remember them for the rest of their lives. So for Teacher Appreciation Week, here's a suggestion. Think of a teacher who really made a difference in your life and reach out and tell them. An email, a Facebook message, or a note will mean so much. And think about it, you might not even be able to write that note if it wasn't for them. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next week.